Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. We begin in Sacramento where the state Senate has passed a bill that would clamp down on a common feature of employment in Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and beyond, the non-disclosure agreement. KQED's Rachel Myro has more on how lawmakers are attempting to limit their scope. Also known as the Silenced No More Act, Senate Bill 331 builds on previous legislation that bans settlement agreements intended to cover up workplace harassment and discrimination. Current California law bars companies from insisting on non-disclosure agreements that shield sexual or gender-related misconduct. SB 331 casts a wider net to address race, age, disability, and the like. And it applies not just when you start with a company, but when you leave, too. Industry pushback has been muted thanks to the Me Too and Black Lives Matter movements. SB 331 now heads to the state assembly. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in Menlo Park. Young kids are starting to get their first COVID vaccines in an early clinical trial at Stanford. If all goes well, widespread distribution could begin by this fall. KQED health reporter Leslie McClurg tagged along with a brave three-year-old from the Bay Area who is now protected from the virus. Eloise LaCour clutches her dolly as a nurse takes her blood pressure. Can you tell me what your name is? My name is Eloise. We'll use this arm, okay? And then... A Stanford nurse swabs Eloise's delicate arm. Tickle, okay. tickle. Yeah. Yeah. Mommy's going to hug you, okay? The nurse carefully administers the vaccine. Hey, how about that? That's it. Look at you, brave kid. Gosh, oh, you are the bravest. Oh, my no tears. In fact, it looks like Eloise might be smiling under her mask. She just got the Pfizer vaccine, one of 144 children across the country in trials like this one. So how'd she do? I checked in with her parents the next day. And so how did she do yesterday? How did yesterday go? She was fantastic. (laughs) Like she's told us her arm doesn't hurt at all. So she's been great. Both parents said they were nervous about enrolling their only daughter. But they said they'd probably be anxious in six months or a year during the official rollout as well. 
Eloise's mom, Angelica, sees the experience as a way to give back. We are so incredibly lucky and fortunate to have a healthy three-year-old child. And we know that there's a lot of other families with kids with vulnerabilities. COVID is potentially life-threatening for those children. And so being part of making this a reality for those families um, is something that was really meaningful to us. Three weeks pass, and then it's time for the second poke. This time, Eloise dresses up as her favorite character from a movie called Brave. Here we go. Oh, See, there it goes. There you go. You did so good. Look. She squirms a little more this time. Again, I checked the next day to see if Eloise was experiencing any side effects. Nothing major, just a little soreness in the arm, and... She had a little bit of a headache last night, nothing that couldn't be solved with a low dose of Tylenol, but otherwise running around, lots of energy. Beautiful. Do you guys feel better now that all of you are vaccinated? <laughs> uh, I get my shot tomorrow, but then by then we'll... Two we'll more weeks. But not all parents are so eager to vaccinate their kids. This week, a survey from the Kaiser Health Foundation reported less than a third of parents say they'll get their kids COVID shots. Health officials hope that hesitation eases over time. It looks like Pfizer could be ready to distribute pediatric shots as early as September. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. And go Eloise. We're going to go to Orange County now, the latest in the state to announce the impending closure of its mass vaccination sites. That's due to slowing demand for shots. The four sites there will shut down on June 6th. Health officials say they'll be focusing on mobile vaccination clinics to get doses to places where people haven't yet gotten the shot. As some say, access is still the biggest barrier when it comes to getting vaccinated. The Cal State University system is partnering with hospitals and pharmacies to offer free pop-up vaccination clinics specifically for students and employees. Officials say many of their campuses have already served as vaccine hubs, but those were for the broader community. CSU is requiring COVID-19 vaccinations in the fall for students, faculty, and staff returning to campus. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. A coalition that tracks reports of hate and discrimination against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders says that there's been a 64% increase in incidents of physical assault against members of the AAPI community over the past year. 40% of overall incidents reported to stop AAPI hate took place in California. Cynthia Che is co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action. This report shows that 
incidence of hate is not abating. So this is really disconcerting and a very challenging time for our community. The San Francisco Division of the FBI announced Thursday it's expanding resources to investigate hate crimes and increasing outreach efforts. Officials in charge of monitoring air quality in Southern California are voting on a rule today that aims to hold warehouses accountable for diesel truck pollution. The rise of e-commerce has led to a warehouse boom in the region over the last decade, and that's only accelerated during the pandemic. KVCR's Megan Jamerson reports this could have a big impact 60 miles east of L.A. in the Inland Empire, where those warehouses have been linked to toxic air quality. The nearby neighborhoods are mostly made up of people of color who are plagued by higher than average rates of asthma and cancer. That's why Yvette Torres with the People's Collective for Environmental Justice says changes need to be made. It's like that first step into zero emissions and getting industry to really think in that sense of that's a way to go where we need to stop impacting the communities that are working for us or living by our industries. The rule would be the first of its kind in the nation, requiring both new and existing large warehouses to meet emissions reductions goals each year through a point system. They can do things like add solar or use zero emissions trucks to gain points and avoid penalties. The trade association that represents commercial real estate in Southern California says its 1,300 members want clean air too, but they believe the rule is unreasonable given today's available technologies, says CEO Timothy Jamal. The approach has been the industry is bad, we need to demonize them, and then we need to somehow push this you know, down the throats of the, the warehouses who, by the way, have no control whatsoever for the most part of the trucks. A study by the South Coast Air Quality Management District found the rule could result in the public health benefits savings of up to $2.7 billion. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson. A lot of college students have been stuck at home during the pandemic. One way they've tried to find community is through online video games. This competitive gaming, also known as eSports, is gaining popularity on California college campuses, where professors say recreational play is actually leading to professional opportunities. For KQED and Cal Matters, Marisa Martinez reports. Romeo Zanblancas is the student president of the Cal State Dominguez Hills Esports Association. Over the summer of COVID, like a lot of people started trying to get more involved in on campus, even though they weren't on campus. So that was basically just like basically opening the doors into competitive esports for a lot of students. Blancas' academic advisor, Ruben Caputo, says that the pandemic amplified a community he saw growing at the campus. He says he wants students to see that there is professional potential attached to their gaming skills. When you see esports and you're part of an organization that actually treats this with high level of respect, and we, we then are able to help bring transfer students that are coming from different colleges to now be in a space that understands, oh, wow, this is... This is beyond a club. I'm actually having internship opportunities from this. I'm actually having to put this down in my resume. Students at Dominguez Hills can even earn a school certificate in esports. San Francisco State also has its own offering in the form of an advanced media performance course and esports club. The class teaches students how to manage the production of esports tournaments, which includes marketing campaigns, audience outreach, and technical streaming software knowledge. It was an awesome experience. I learned so much, and that kind of just threw me into the water and uh, got me prepared for pretty much everything that I've done since. Those opportunities and that experience is 100% why I'm here today. 
SF State alum Fernando Gomez is now the digital content coordinator for the Portland Trailblazers. Dr. Dina Ibrahim teaches that course. What I wanted to do was just provide a venue for students who are doing it anyway to get credit. And Ibrahim says if campuses are going to start taking esports seriously, they need to make sure students have the support they need to pursue esports academically. What we've seen during the pandemic is the stark, vast digital divide. My students are living in their cars. They're living in RVs. There's a lot of access issues that campuses should be providing. Ibrahim is looking to create a center on the SF State campus where her students can have access to PCs, Wi-Fi, and the ability to host esports tournaments. I kept thinking, how are we evolving, right? Higher ed needs to evolve or die. We need to be teaching students relevant skills that's going to get them jobs in a rapidly changing landscape. This, Ibrahim says, is the future of digital media. For the California Report, Amadisa Martinez in Rancho Cucamonga. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's Weekly Magazine. This week, nursing home owners who've been denied licenses are allowed to continue operating in California. That's what KPCC reporters found in a recent investigation. They looked into one nursing home chain that's been flagged repeatedly by regulators. LEU has more. The nursing home chain Renew Health is connected to at least 26 facilities throughout the state. It's racked up a number of violations, including failing to provide nutritional care. Barbara Macias' 49-year-old sister Jacqueline was a resident at one of the homes in Compton. She lost 12 pounds in just a week. She told me, please help me, Barbara. Please help me get out of here. I need your help. She died just a month after staying in the facility. Renew CEO Crystal Solarzano owns that home. A few years later, Solarzano's businesses began operating nine other nursing homes before ever receiving licenses from the state. When she applied for them, the California Department of Public Health denied her, but she can stay in business while she appeals. In California, that's legal. Tony Chicatel is an attorney with the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. It's a really bizarre, completely exploited process. California has, in a sense, rolled out the red carpet for bad providers. In a statement, a Renew spokesman said Solarzano is, quote, fully qualified to own and operate nursing homes. A bill pending in the state legislature would require nursing homeowners to get a license before being able to operate a facility. For the California Report, I'm Ellie Yu. And you can hear more of Ellie's investigation on this week's California Report magazine. And that is the California Report for this Friday, May 7th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Jim Bennett, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash adaptingcare. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.